Stay tuned for the Wine Crush podcast, where winemaker stories are uncorked. Wine Crush is supported by Country Financial Insurance. Okay, cool. Here we go. Okay. Welcome to Wine Crush, where we will tell the stories behind the vine. I'm your host, Heidi Moore. Glad to have you here for the first ever episode of Wine Crush. Thank you for joining us on Portland Radio Project. Today, we'll hear two remarkable wine stories, one inspired by a visionary Portland native known for leaving an inspiring wine legacy. In the second half, we'll meet a champion for winemakers of color. First here from Brooks Winery is Janie Brooks. Welcome, Janie. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Heidi. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, Brooks is one of my neighbors, and I'm so excited to be able to tell your story, which is so inspiring. So please tell us all about Brooks Winery. All right. So we were founded in 1998 um, by my brother, Jimmy Brooks. He came into the industry after working in Beaujolais, France, for a number of years, um, very inspired by biodynamic farming, really wanted to restore the reputation of Riesling in the Willamette Valley and, of course, make Pinot Noir. So that was his first mission in 1998. He unexpectedly passed away at the age of 38 in September of 2004. Um, and at that time, the winery was about 2,500 cases. He had an eight-year-old son who has inherited the winery. And the night that he passed away, I live in California, and I got up to the, his house the night that he died, and I was sat down by a group of people who turned out were all his colleagues in the wine industry, pretty much all the rock stars. And they really felt that what he was doing was different. Back in the late 90s, he was making, you know, high acid food friendly Pinot Noirs. He was committed to Riesling, which most wineries might make one Riesling or so, but it's not really the focus in the Willamette Valley. And they really wanted to see the brand continue. It was a couple weeks before harvest. So they all offered to pitch in and take his fruit that year and make his wine and asked if I would help on the business side which I said yes, because I didn't really have a choice. I was gonna have to deal with his estate and on his son's behalf. And once I got into it and realized the community in the Willamette Valley and that these people's generosity and their vision, I've fallen in love with the industry. So it's been 14, I've had 14 harvests. Um, Our winemaker was my brother's assistant winemaker. Chris Williams. So he's been with me since the spring of 2005. And we've stayed very true to Jimmy's founding philosophies, which we're very proud of. There's something about the Brooks story. And I know this is part of the experience when you go up to the winery and you sit in the tasting room and, and you know, your staff really, you know, is so engrossed in embracing Jimmy's legacy and what he was all about. It gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. It doesn't matter how many times I've heard it. It just always makes me just kind of, you know, touchy-feely and happy. Um, what else about Brooks should we know? You've you've talked about the the Riesling and, and the legacy. What should we look forward to next? Well, this is a very exciting year for us. It's our 20-year anniversary. So we are celebrating, it's called the Legacy Series, the 12 winemakers who helped us when my brother passed away. And I am just absolutely thrilled that I'm able to give back to them because they... Their vision could have been to take the fruit and keep the fruit, and I could have shut Brooks down, but that wasn't their vision. Their vision was to keep it going. And so now I'm on the receiving end of that, and now I get to give back. So we'll be honoring one of the winemakers a month for each month in 2018. That's pretty cool. And I know when you walk into the tasting room as it is, there's an honor with all of those different wineries that did help 
out with that first harvest. There is. We we used um, barrels from each of the wineries back when we built our new building in 2014, where we had their logos engraved on a barrel stave, and they lined the walls of our hallways. So they're there with me. That was probably my favorite design element of the building because it's so sentimental that they surround our winery. So I know you have a different approach to your hospitality up at the tasting room. Can you quickly tell us what that is and what your mission with that is? Sure. My, my goal was to build a place that I wanted to hang out in, basically, and not the typical tasting room experience. So it's all tableside service. It's kind of shabby chic in terms of decoration. It has a lot of offerings in terms of different flights of wine. We also have a full-time chef. So we have food. We have probably one of the best views in the Willamette Valley where you can see four mountains um, on a sunny day and we have decks and gardens and grounds and it's a great place for people just to come and hang out. Cool. Well, that was a great story. Like every time I hear it, it's a wonderful story. We're going to take a short break and we'll talk more with Janie about Brooks and the delicious wine they make out in Amity at Brooks Winery. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at prp.fm. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast where wine stories are uncorked. I'm Heidi Moore. Our guest is Janie Brooks from Brooks Winery, and she's told us how friends and family honor the vision of her late brother, Jimmy, founder of Brooks 20 years ago. But let's talk about the wine. And please tell me about the Eola Hills AVA and why you chose to put Brooks there as their home. So we're located in Amity, Oregon, which is dead center of the Willamette Valley in the Eola Amity Hills AVA. And there's something really special about the Eola Amity AVA that's different than a lot of the other ones. And it's the Van Duzer Corridor, which is basically the 99 coast highway that we all take out to the ocean. But it's a break in the coastal mountain range. So we're able to benefit from the winds that come through that gap on a daily basis. And in times of the year, like the summer when it's hot, we'll have a great diurnal shift of up to 30 degrees in temperature, which really help to cool down the vines. <clears throat> That's important because it slows down ripening and really allows acid retention and choices for us to make um, for flavor development and profile development. We're never really forced to have to pick. Awesome. And you also have a different um, way of farming as well. I know there's a lot of different strategies, but you guys are very unique in what you chose to do. And how does that affect the vines and really in the end product of the wine? Back in 1998, when my brother came to the market, he brought um, leadership with biodynamic farming. And it's a farming method that's been around since the early 19th century. Um, but it, it's all about replacing nutrients in a universal holistic setting of the property itself. So we try not to bring a lot of things onto the property. We grow our grapes on our property. We have our garden on our property. We have chickens on our property. We make our compost on our property. <clears throat> and it's all about the replenishment of the nourishment of that location. So with doing that, how do you think it has affected the way the grapes grow and how they taste and, and all that? Well, you're, you use certain preparations that are all natural. So you use teas from things like stinging nettle. And so there's no herbicides, there's no chemicals. We use a little bit of sulfur in our vineyard, but otherwise it's completely natural for the vines. Excellent. So with that being said, tell us all about Brooks's wines, because they are completely different than your normal Pinot Noir that you see in the rest of the valley. 
So the Pinot Noir focus is really on making higher acid food-friendly wines. We also are big believers in small lot fermentations so that we can do a lot of blending. So we'll go out and get grapes from different vineyards around the Eola Amity Hills, put those into really small lots so that we create a really, really broad palette for our winemaker so that when he does his blends and makes his labels, they're different types, very different stylistically, but very consistent from year to year. Um, same process with the Rieslings. We also focus on Alsatian varietal whites. So a lot of aromatic whites. We make over 50 wines. A lot of single vineyard Pinot Noirs and Rieslings, including a new sparkling. Which is probably one of my brand new favorite bubbles to drink. It's absolutely fantastic. So with your Rieslings, I know when you walk into the production slab and the, the winery inside, you have a lot of small vat um, production. Why is that? The more you can have components, it's just like an artist with a palette. The more colors that you have and the more things you have to choose from, the more diverse your end product can be. And so that's what we really like. We also are biodynamically certified in our winery, which doesn't allow us to add um, anything to our wine. So our wines are made as naturally as they were grown in the vineyard. Um, and that's why we do the small lots too, so that we can get to the perfect balance in the style of wine we're looking to create through blending and not through manipulation. Excellent. So what other varietals are you producing besides the Pinot and the, the Riesling? We make Pinot Blanc. We make musk, a dry Muscat. We do a dry Gewurztraminer. We have a white blend of all those varietals. Um, we're making a little bit of Malone. We have some Tempranillo in barrel from the Willamette Valley and some Petite Syrah from Southern Oregon. So again, all very small production couple hundred cases for each of those and they're pretty much only available in the tasting room. So what other things should we know about the wine that they're coming to taste when they come up to the the winery itself? I think the variety and when you come to the winery we offer three different flights so you really get a broad range if you pick all different all whites all reds or a mix of the two you really get to know our style and kind of the breadth of our products. Got it. Stick around for a few more minutes. Along with the 20th anniversary celebration, there's much more going on at Brooks Winery. We'll be right back. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We are back with Janie from Brooks Winery, where they are celebrating the 20 years of winemaking and the legacy of the late founder, Jimmy Brooks. Janie, I know there has been a lot of buzz about Brooks lately and a lot of media attention. Can you tell us about what you've been featured in, what's been your favorite or the most fun that you've been involved in? Well, this, our story is such a great one of collaboration that it has been documented a variety of ways. Um, American Wine Story is a documentary that's about 50% our story and a great, great telling with a lot of photos of my brother and a lot of interviews with his son, Pascal, who was eight when Jimmy passed away, but is now 22. Um, probably one of the funnest experiences we had was being on Strange Inheritance, which is a Fox Business new. Um, they're on their fourth season, and we were maybe their third or fourth. So working with Jamie Colby and watching the whole production side of how TV shows get put together and how they result in that final product is fun. Um, a lot of news coverage. We USA Today top five wineries not to miss the first summer that our new winery was open. Um, and a lot of local great coverage as well. Yeah, you've mentioned Pascal um, a couple of times now, Jimmy's young son that was eight when he passed away. 
he just now is legal to drink at the winery. What is he doing now and what are his plans with the winery? He is a senior in college getting a dual major in creative writing and sustainable agriculture. So a little bit of a tie-in, but has absolutely no pressure to come to Brooks. When I talked to him last week, his plan sounded like he and his girlfriend, who she's from France, they might move to France and he'd probably go work for a winery over there, which is ironically exactly what my brother did after he graduated from Linfield. How funny is that? Well, it'll be really interesting to see what he does and what he chooses to do and what his path is. Along with your media coverage, you've had some great events up there. You had the big solar eclipse event this year, and you have a lot of things that are planning to happen in the next month or two or in the next week or two. What are those things? We do. Well, as part of our legacy series, we will be having a guest winemaker from each of the 12 wineries come in on a Saturday to pour their wines for our guests and talk to our guests. We regularly do chef series dinners, which we're having our first secret supper in February. And that's all I can tell you because the rest of it's a secret. Uh, We always have an activity on the third Friday. So we'll do bingo. We're going to have movie nights this year and show Top Gun and some other fun films and pizza nights. We have music every fourth Sunday in the afternoons. And then we sprinkle other variety of events as they arise throughout the year. A lot of your events have been unique. I know you do yoga and you do bingo and you do some of these other things that maybe you wouldn't associate with a winery in a tasting room. What else have we missed that maybe we should know? Well, coming up over the weekend before Valentine's Day, we have the rhetorical redhead who is a poet and she brings her typewriter and will type you romantic poems for the Valentine's Day weekend. So going forward, what other things should we know about Brooks and your events and your wines to really have people drive up to Amity, Oregon? It's a little bit of a hike from Portland, but so worth the drive, both for the beauty and the wine. Yeah, we've been a top destination in Oregon, not just wineries, but top destination for the last two years, which I think lends tells the story very well about how our hospitality program works. And My whole vision for the experience that people have at Brooks is that life is short and it's too short to be sold to and it's too short to spend your time and money and not have a memorable, wonderful time. So that's the experience that we try to create on a daily basis, let alone through our events. Yeah, you have a fantastic staff up there. I can't say that we've ever had nothing but a fantastic time when we've come up to enjoy the view and enjoy a glass of wine. It's been great hearing the story of Brooks Winery today. Thanks so much for coming to Portland to tell us about it. Happy to. After the break, we'll meet Bertoni Faustine, who's bringing an element of diversity to Oregon winemaking. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at prp.fm. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast for wine lovers. Now you'll meet another winemaker with an incredible story. You'll find out why he's a trailblazer. Bertoni from Abbey Creek Vineyard, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so glad you're here. I've been very excited for you to come in and and chat with us. I know you're originally from New York, and New York is a long way from Oregon wine country. Correct. What brought you out west? I was trying to get to California in 99. You missed it. Um, Yeah, for a little bit. (laughs) Um, initially, I moved out here to work at OHSU as an anesthesia technician. That was kind of my career. Um, I wanted to get to Cali, had no idea where I was going to go. So Oregon, there was a job available. And you look at the Oregon map, and there's green everywhere. But Portland just had 
you know, the little nucleus. They had their own basketball team. So I figured, okay, I'll be here for a minute and then work my way down. It's always interesting why people choose the places they go. And so basketball and green are Correct. what got you here. So what was your next step into wine? Because working as an anesthesiologist at OHSU does not technically lend to a wine career. Um, no, not really. Um, ended up meeting my wife at OHSU as well, et cetera. Um, but what got me into wine was actually when my father passed. Um, my family is originally from Haiti. I'm first generation Haitian American. But it was kind of my dad's legacy when he and my mom escaped from Haiti in the late 60s, brought the other two kids, my elder siblings. Um, it was that legacy of being successful in spite of. They had no high school degree, et cetera. But um, he had to be successful in what he did during his days. So when uh, he passed in 07, um, my in-laws, I call them the outlaws, just be funny, but <laughs> my in-laws, we, we have some property over on Germantown, and they planted some fruit, about five acres, in 81 for a farm deferral, where most of our neighbors planted Christmas trees. But uh, no one made wine. Uh, some of the years, the fruit got sold, but the vineyard was kind of in disarray. But I was looking around one day, and I was like, I'm going to go ahead and make wine. I didn't even drink prior either, so you could imagine the, the response that I got. They probably thought you'd lost your mind. Uh, they laughed, yeah, they actually yeah. did. Everyone just kind of chuckled and, okay. But um, for me, that was actually, you know, the reason for my success. I didn't have this wine passion. I had the passion for the hustle. You know, I saw an opportunity and, you know, there was minimal risk in the sense I had grapes. So, you know, I can go ahead and at least make some wine. That was kind of my idea starting on earlier. Yeah, I love the fact that you mentioned the hustle because that's what a lot of this is, is is figuring out what your hustle and what, what it is that you want to do. So you've gone from anesthesiologist to farmer. So how did you fall into the actual winemaker part of it? Because usually you're one or the other, not technically both. Well, I mean, if you know anything about the wine industry, the, the industry moniker is in order to make a small fortune, you start with a large one. Yeah. But, you know, my motto is if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So first thing I did was fire whoever was taking care of the vineyard. Um, there was no wine label at that time. So I actually created the wine label, you know, once I decided to go ahead and just take over everything. Kind of jumped in with both hands and feet. Uh, started at the Schmecker program. There's a wine program down there. Lasted only about three months. But uh, <laughs> I felt that was enough to go ahead and get started. Um, again, there was uh, no loss to me, no risk. You know, if it didn't work out, I'd just do something else. But again, um, I, I call it the immigrant hustle. We talk about the hustle. Um, just because, you know, it was for me, it was, the idea was I'm going to go ahead and, and step out and make this happen kind of thing. And if it didn't, we'll do something else. So. That's kind of fun. Yeah. So... Along with that, you have other things going with your tasting room. So not only were you the anesthesiologist, now you're the farmer, the winemaker, and now you're the host with the most when you go to Abbey Creek Vineyard Tasting Room. Correct, correct. I call it the ghetto cheers. You yeah. know, it's just kind of a, a cool spot to hang out. Um, again, my whole idea about the wine industry is I know you came in for wine, so why talk about it? You know, we do all kinds of other stuff. The, the motto is hip-hop, wine, and chill. You know, so we are, I think, the only hip-hop winery, you know, as well. And we've got the uh, old-school arcade games in there also. But um, to me, it's all about bringing the uh, intimidation level down. Um, so a lot of our clients are new customers or new wine drinkers, I should say. You know, because uh, when most people, you talk about the wine industry, everybody thinks of the intimidation or pretentious or how do I talk or how do I walk in? Do you wear this at a winery? You know, kind of thing where... We're totally all laid back. You know, it's about, you know, um, 
coming in as you are, you know, essentially. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. I love the vibe. Stick around. We'll learn about the signature wines of Abbey Creek right in a moment. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We're talking to Bertoni from Abbey Creek Vineyards on Wine Crush today. Thank you again for joining us and telling us your colorful story. My pleasure. Uh, Bertoni is the owner of Abbey Creek Vineyard in North Plains near Hillsboro, um, which is it's right off of the Sunset Highway. So super easy to get to from 26, from Portland, from Beaverton. It's it's pretty ideal, but you're kind of a hidden gem right there. Correct, correct. Um, my vineyard is actually in the West Hills of Portland. So that's the first oddity um, most people don't realize. And the reason why we're not making wine there on site is because of zoning issues. Um, zoned as commercial forestry, a lot of rigmarole. But um, North Plains is about 15 minutes away from the house. As you mentioned, we're right off the freeway. I'm the hottest thing in town. You know, yeah. so that's, that's definitely one of the gems. I was able to go in and buy the building as opposed to being in traditional uh, wine country, you know, sort of idea. If you've been to North Plains, it's kind of your quintessential, you know, Coors Light town. There's a bar for every church and a church for every bar. Yes, and you, you know, go 25 so. through town. or Yes, you're, ma'am, 25 I think that was the town. last warning I got when yes. I left the winery to make sure that I didn't speed through indeed, town. Indeed. Yes. Okay, now that we know where you're at, let's talk wine. Yes. You told me that you do things different. I love your uniform that you tell me you always have your car hearts on. <laughs> Trying to get a sponsorship first. So, well, yeah. this was a good first step. There you go. Um, as for wines, uh, we grow six different varietals, Pinot Noir, Gris, Chardonnay, Gewurz. And in 2010, I recently planted some more Gamay Noir and Alborino as well. So. so what's your vision going forward with new varietals or just changing up what you have? Well, uh, I'm all about... Um, I give you what you need, not necessarily what you want. So variety's sake, we only put out about five wines at a time. Um, I just feel like the customer most of the time doesn't really know exactly what they need or want. So instead of giving them more options, we give them less. And I make wine in context, you know, dry white, medium dry, rose, pinot, something heavier. Every year I go down to Southern Oregon and I bring up a couple of tons of and other than Pinot Red, just so we can have some variety as well. Even though, yes, we're the Willamette Valley, I love Pinot, but it's always nice to be able to have something else for, you know, different customers. Agreed. Yeah, it's nice to walk into a wine tasting room and get something other than Pinot and a Chardonnay or a Pinot Gris. Correct. So where does your style go with your wines? I'm very hands-off. Uh, you might call me a lazy winemaker. Um, Mother Nature creates the wine. I just stay out of the way, you know, and just kind of highlight the nuances and, and without any excuses either. So um, I never have a better or worse vintage. I have different vintages, you know. I think you told me when I was there that you've never hit your greatness. There's always something better that you can do with your wine. My best is my next. That's kind of my yeah. my motto, you know, I go through because, again, you know, so many people come and ask you, what was your best? And, you know, I never have that moment. I, I guess that's one of the reasons why I'm successful in the sense that I'm kind of broken, too. I'm never satisfied. So I'm always striving to do one better or one up the next. So if I were to come into your tasting room, where would you start me? What would we be tasting first and go through your lineup right now? Uh, we typically always start with our Chardonnay. That's actually... My hardest wine to make, uh, Chardonnay drinkers are probably the most finicky wine drinkers in the world uh, with the whole is it oak, is it stainless kind of battle. 
So in uh, 2009, I started to blend them, uh, oak and stainless, in order to, I guess, trick everybody into just trying it. And then we pitch whichever side you like better. But we typically start with the Chardonnay. We go to Pinot Gris. Rose, we typically try to do rosé all throughout the year as well. We've got our wines on tap, a few of our wines on tap. So that allows us to always have wine ready and fresh to go. Um, Pinot, and then whatever the variable, the other than Pinot Red, that's going to be changing. Wine on tap sounds so wrong. Um, but so right. <laughs> and that's what I hear. That was one of the things that you introduced me to yeah. when I was there that day. So super fun. So there's plenty going on year-round at Abbey Creek. More on that when we come back. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at prp.fm. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast chock full of winemaker stories uncorked. I'm your host, Heidi Moore, and we have Bertoni from Abbey Creek Vineyard in the studio. I know you have lots of different things going on, projects, events, lots of different things. So let's start from the top. Let's talk all about the documentary. Well, the documentary came about in 2015. Oregon was celebrating 50 years of winemaking. And um, all of the press that you saw and was talking about was the pioneers, the uh, history of the industry, which is great, but nothing was addressing the future. Um, That was my seventh year in the industry then. So I figured um, the only way my story was going to get out there is for me to tell it myself. So I decided to start a production company, just like I did. I'm going to make wine seven years ago. Here we Um, go with another hustle. Yeah, I'm going to make a movie. You know, that was kind of my honorary, you know, way of saying I would do me. Um, initially, the plan was to make this movie, um, it was going to be a passion project. But once word got out, then it went national and international. The AP, we got the cover of Street Roots. And um, it sort of put me into this trailblazer pioneer mode. I didn't necessarily have the plan initially, but I had to own it as we started going along. So, yeah. So you're drinking coffee one day and you decide, I'm going to make a movie today. Actually, I was in the vineyard. That's where most of my creative stuff comes from when you're out in the vineyard and you're looking at how long the row is and you're still working. So you got just your mind has to drift off, you know, et cetera. Um, and that's kind of how it began there. So. so now that you have the idea, so where right. did it go from there? Who's involved? What are you talking about? Well, yes, the... In the 50 years of winemaking, I'm Oregon's first black winemaker. Um, Yes, that's a great story, but I felt that it could be bigger and we could touch more if we included some other folks. Uh, I've got Jesus Guillen, you know, a Mexican winemaker at White Rose. Um, uh, Remy, you know, she's um, a lesbian and a female. You know, uh, to me, that's the most powerful part of our whole documentary. you come into my tasting room, I'm black once you walk in the door, you know. If that's going to be an issue, it, it, it's a short one. But Remy has to decide, you know, if she's going to out herself every time somebody says, does your husband make wine? You know, things like that. And I just felt these were conversations that no one was having and no one was really thinking about, you know, because they don't live, you know, the lifestyle, you know, either way, whether you're being a minority or a woman, et cetera. So that was kind of the idea of, you know, we're going to go ahead and share these stories and, and show a different perspective of the wine industry that most people don't know about. I think that's a pretty powerful thought to have in the middle of the vineyard, and you've made really a cool production out of it. I know you had a screening a couple of weeks ago. Correct. So I saw you in something other than a pair of 
overalls. Well, that was a, a fake picture. I was actually in overalls for real. Okay. Someone, well, someone posted an old picture with me. Well, it was, was great one way or the yeah. other. You know, I knew you had a little bit of variety when I saw something other than overalls. So when is it rolling out? When is it available for the rest of us to see this? So we're actually converting the winery into a, a living room theater. And um, starting in probably end of February, March, we'll be doing uh, a monthly screening and dinner, you know, sort of events where it's very small, intimate, but you get to watch the documentary, meet some of the winemakers, et cetera. And then we'll be hitting all of the uh, Hollywood Theater, Cinema 21, those kind of theaters around Portland as well, you know, for doing uh, screening events. That's like super fantastic. I am going to get my reservation in for that. <laughs> I will be I will be at the wine winery for that one. So... Stepping aside from the documentary and as much time as you probably put into that, you have events at least once a week. Correct. It seems correct. like at the at the tasting room. Tell me what you're doing. Um, every other Friday we do art night at the Crick. Um, I call the winery the Crick. That's a long story, but um, again, the whole idea was to bring people out there for other reasons, and then we happen to have wine as well. You know, that's just sort of my approach to the wine industry. Um, every third Thursday is International Film Night. Um, what else we have going on? Uh, we do brunches and dinners and supper club, et cetera. Again, and for me, it's all about bringing new people into the tasting room for other than your traditional wine events. So I know the one that I missed that I'm kicking myself for not jumping on was correct uh, waffles and chicken. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, chicken and waffles. Um, With wine. Correct. Part of uh, And actually, the uh, syrup is going to have um, bourbon from Bull Run Distillery, great friends of the industry as well. Um, all of my events, I try to incorporate the community, uh, the neighborhood. We use the catering company right next door. Uh, if there's live music, we use a local band, et cetera. Just try to show the town that, you know, what collaboration and community looks like. Um, I'm the only, you know, person of color business in North Plains. North Plains is not a wine town, you know, so trying to show them that I'm not taking away. I'm actually, you know, contributing to what's going on in the town. Excellent. Well, thank you, Bertoni, for joining us. Make sure, you know, keep us posted on everything you're doing and coming up with. Um, Thank you for joining us for the premiere of Wine Crush and have a great weekend. Wine Crush is a Portland Radio Project production with producer Jenna Demmel and editor Daniel Lynn. Thanks as well to PRP podcast coordinator Nishtasia Voisin. 